Welcome to Odds and Ends. I'm your host, Mike Tice. A little bit froggy today. Sorry about that. Bear with me. Got a great show today for you. I have the XFL CEO and Commissioner Oliver Luck on to talk about the state of the XFL after two weeks of play. Speaking of two weeks of play, I have the 2-0, boy, the 2-0 DC Defenders. Man, they are doing a job. Pitched a shutout last week against the New York Guardians. I have head coach Pep Hamilton, big fan of Pep's uh, college coach, NFL coach. has done a great job and is doing a great job. And we'll be back in a minute. We don't have any horse racing for you this week, but you can go on YouTube. And I am going to pick the XFL games on Friday, the four games. There'll be two on Saturday, two on Sunday. I'm going to pick those games for you. So we'll be right back. Sorry about the squeak. We'll be right back with more of Odds and Ends. I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere. And here's a guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can do. This guy says the horse can do, if he says the horse can do. Well, welcome back to Odds and Ends. And I am very, very fortunate to have the CEO and commissioner of the XFL, which is off to a great start after two weeks, Oliver Luck. Oliver, thanks for taking time out to come on the podcast. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you, you went out, you put this thing together, you hired some excellent coaches. You have three coaches in the mix, Jim Zorn, friend of mine, Mark Tressman, June Jones, all with head coaching experience in the National Football League. Of course, you went out and hired Bob Stoops, Great, great college coach. Winston Moss, coaching in L.A., has had a great career in the National Football League. Jonathan Hayes, whose brother Jay worked with me, for me, actually, when I was the head coach of the Vikings. St. Louis is off to a pretty good start, too. And then Pep Hamilton, who I am really a big fan of and will be on the podcast this afternoon. I mean, what a great job, Oliver, going out there and getting some good talent to be a head coaches. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Don't forget Kevin Gilbride, another oh, former NFL head coach, God. of course, but more, better known as the OC, you know, for the Giants when they won those Super Bowls with Eli. But it's it, it's a really interesting bunch, Mike. I, I wanted to get a couple of guys, you know, that had significant college experience, like Bob and Pep, you know, who's been at uh, you know a bunch of different you know college uh, institutions, and I wanted to get obviously enough NFL guys that that were both you know great players, like guys like Winston and, and Jonathan Hayes, but also you know, Jim Zorn, but also guys who you know had had coached at, at a very high level. So it's an interesting bunch. Uh, they're competitive as all get out, as you'd suspect, and you know so far so good. You know we got two teams that are two and zero, four teams one and one, and two teams that are zero and two. But I, you know, the, the, the pair. What, what's impressed me is the parity across the league. We've only really had one blowout game, and that was, uh, you know, when DC uh, hosted New York week two and just just knocked their socks off. You know, but other than that, these games have all been you know one score games going into the fourth quarter, and that's 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 entertaining for fans, entertaining for the players as well, of course. Well, yeah, and I, I find myself and my wife Diane, we found ourselves over the first two weekends checking out the games, maybe not in its entirety, but we were able to see, and we of course we followed Seattle, the Dragons, with my friend Jim Zorn. But I think there are some exciting things to talk about with the XFL, and I'd like to talk about two of those things right now, and those are two of the rules changes that you guys experiment with on special teams. The kickoffs, 
trying to eliminate those really severe collisions that have hampered the National Football League. You guys are starting the kicker on the 30-yard line. The blockers and the cover teams are between the 30 and the 35-yard line downfield. And you guys have returned an amazing 90.1% of kickoffs over the first two weeks. Talk about that rule change and, and maybe a little bit how that came about, Oliver. Sure. So, you know, we we looked at plays in the National Football League that we determined were more or less meaningless or had become more or less meaningless. And one of those plays, Mike, was the kickoff because only 30% of NFL kickoffs are returned. Right. The vast majority, 70%, you know, are just kicked into the end zone. And that's sort of a nothing play, right? Nobody wants to pay a lot of money to watch your kicker kick the ball into the end zone, you know, for a touchback. So, you know, we experimented and said, what could we do uh, to do two things to get, you know, more kickoff returns? Fans told us they like the kickoff return. It's an exciting play. What can we do to get more kickoff returns? And can we make the kickoff safer for players? Right. Because I think, as you know, right, the kickoff in the NFL and in college has become the most dangerous play because of that, you know, 40-yard sprint. And then you get the collision, right? right? You know, velocity, impact. I wasn't a physics major at West Virginia, but, <laughs> you know, I know enough to know that if you eliminate that 40-yard sprint, you know, it's going to be a safer play. So we experimented with a number of different things. And this, this is the key. We looked at hundreds of NFL kickoffs, mm-hmm. and we stopped the tape when the kick returner, you know, either caught the ball or the ball, you know, in the air across the goal line. Right. And guess where the players were? Five to <laughs> eight were, yards. The, the kickoff, five. yeah, exactly. Kickoff cover team at the 35, kickoff return at the 30. That's right. more or less where those guys were. Literally on, on hundreds of kicks off. We just stopped the clock and, look, that's where they were. So, you know, we experimented with it. We worked with a bunch of JUCOs. This goes back, like, over a year. Worked with mm-hmm. a bunch of junior colleges and, December of 2018, worked with a bunch of, you know, semi-pro leagues, uh, you know, throughout 19. And then once we got our guys drafted in the league, started to work with them on this. And, you know, as you mentioned, we've had over 90% kickoff returns. Right. The average starting point, I think, is like at the 31-yard line now or something. Uh, and that, that's going to increase a little bit. We haven't had anybody break one yet, but that'll happen, you know, at some point. Yeah. Uh, so everybody seems, I'm certainly happy, everybody seems to be happy with that play. And we haven't had one concussion at this point. Uh, now, it's not to say we won't have one you know, going forward. We only had two weeks of play, but it seems like the safety factor is working as we anticipated uh, and the fact that we've got 90% kickoff return. So that play is exciting again, right? It's not a play you'll get up and you know, go get a beer from the fridge, right? Because you, you know it's going to end up getting kicked out, out of the end zone. No, but I- that was the the rationale behind that. I think it's a great rationale. And I, like you said, 90.1 kickoff return percentage, 34.1 to be exact for the NFL in 2019. And then you guys did something really cool on the punts. Between the 40s, what you guys are calling the go zone, if you kick the ball in the end zone or punt it, excuse me, in the end zone or punt it out of bounds, you're now penalized and you get the ball, the other, the opposing team gets the ball on the 35-yard line. I think that is really cool. 63.4% of punt returns in the first two weeks of the XFL as as 2019, the NFL, only 36.2%. 
That is a really cool rule. I like that one the best. That's really Yeah, good. so we wanted to do really two things. One, we wanted to disincentivize the punt when you're between the 40s. We, right. we called it the go zone, right. you know? And you know, disincentivize the punt means incentivizing going forward on fourth down. And we've had you know, now enough of a sample size to at least get a trend that coaches are going forward on, on fourth down more than they're punting. Uh, because if you, unless you've got a great punter that can you know, literally drop the ball to two yard line, if the ball goes out of bounds or in the end zone, you're being punished. You're mm-hmm. you're you know. So that's the one thing. The second thing we did on the punt when when you do punt, we said let's try to get more punt returns. Mm-hmm. So instead of allowing the gunners to leave when the ball is snapped, right. we're holding the gunners yes. until the kick the kick is made, right? right? Until contact is made by the punter with the ball, all right? So that saves about two seconds, and that allows the punt returner, that extra two seconds or so, about 15 yards, to field the punt and to make a move to you know, try for a punt return. So I think we've had, as you mentioned, like over 60% of our punts were returned. That's awesome. I think that number will start to go up as coaches understand this better. Uh, so we said, okay, let's disincentivize the punt, but where we do punt, let's try to get punt returns. I feel like I feel like I'm writing the tax code, you know, yeah, right. how you, the, you know, the government puts you know, tax codes in to incentivize certain behavior or disincentivize other behavior. That's all we're doing, right? Yeah. And once you understand how coaches think and how they strategize, then you can go in and sort of, you know, play with the tax code, play with the rules. To, you know, at the end of the day, get the, re, you know, the required or, or the, or the you know, result that you're looking for. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think it's important that you you touched on it. The coaches are just getting a feel for this rule, and once they, you know, totally understand the rule, I think they'll be able to utilize it to their advantage more. And uh, and that's uh, that's an excellent point. Now the scoring. I know everybody wants points to be scored, but this is my take on it. Offenses coming out of training camp, or as you well know, Oliver, are always behind the defenses. I think. You know, we've got a couple teams in the league, the defenders, uh, of course, June Jones, uh, the Roughnecks have scored seven and nine touchdowns. St. Louis behind Jonathan uh, Hayes has scored six touchdowns. I think the other teams will catch up once, you know, once they get going, get in the rhythm and start to find out as coaches what their guys do well. What, What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you know, we'd love to have every game be a 35 to 34, right. you know, game. Uh, but, you know, it, it's football. And, you know, the defenses are pretty darn good. We got good defensive coordinators. You know, we don't have any blitz restrictions. A lot of leagues in the past that just got started had blitz restrictions. You can only right. send five, or you can only send guys from the, you know, within the tackle box, all that sort of stuff. We said, no, let's play real football. So, you know, no restrictions on, on what a defense can do. And it does take a little bit of time, you know, for the offenses to begin to gel. And, you know, I'll say this. I've watched every snap of every game. There's pretty damn good tackling in the XFL. Mm-hmm. I've been impressed by, you know, the tackling that, that uh, you know, defensive backs, you know, linebackers uh, have, have done. You know, there's, you know, guys aren't breaking a whole bunch of tackles. Uh, and I think it's because we got some pretty good defensive guys. I, I think of Pep Hamilton. Ask him about his two, you know, defensive backs, his two safeties, Raheem Moore, who had yeah, a good career yeah, with the Broncos, and, and Matt Elam, right? And Matt Elam, yeah. who was the first round pick with the Ravens. Right. Those guys can play football. They can you play know? football. That's right. I would. And I, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make a, you know, you're not gonna juke either one of those two guys. So, yeah. I've been impressed, quite honestly, with you know, with the tackling. 
And, you know, to, to score on a, you know, 12-play drive, you know how tough that is, right? right. So it's, it, it's going to come. We're not worried about it at all. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, we've got teams that are starting to score now, and I think the others will, you know, quickly catch up. Right, and I agree with that. 29,000 people at Century League Stadium for the Dragons game last weekend bumped the attendance up in the second week. Excellent job. This week, Saturday, you got the Houston Roughnecks 2-0 and taking on uh, at the uh, Tampa Bay Vipers 0-2. That's going to be on ABC. You also have Saturday Dallas Renegades 1-1 taking on, coming here to Seattle, taking on Jim Zorn, the Seattle Dragons. That should be a really good matchup. That's on Fox TV. Sunday, you got the New York Guardians, as you mentioned, Kevin Gilbride, head coach. That's on ESPN traveling to St. Louis. I, I like the St. Louis team. I think Jonathan's doing a good job. And then D.C. Defenders, who I've already talked about a couple of times, 2-0 and on FS1, going to L.A. and taking on the 0-2 Wildcats. Great job of getting all those networks involved, Oliver, and that's got to be a big, big key to the success and the success moving forward of the XFL. Uh, n- no question, right? I mean, we live in a world where, where you know, if it doesn't happen on television, it doesn't happen, right? Right. <laughs> uh, the revolution will be televised, so to speak. So getting Fox, you know, on board, getting ESPN, ABC was, was huge. Every, you know, every one of our 43 games, we got 40 regular season games and then three postseason. Every one of them is going to be on national television. Uh, you know, whether that's uh, ABC and Fox, you know, over the air or, you know, fully distributed cable. So, you know, everybody can see these games very easily. And what I like about it, Mike, is that, you know, it's it's Saturday afternoon, like college football that right. we're all used to. You know, two games in the afternoon and early in the late game. And then it's Sunday afternoon, just like the NFL, and yeah. early in a late game. So they're easy to find. That's helping us, you know, the first couple of weekends because our ratings have been pretty solid. And, you know, so we're, we're, we're in good shape. I also give a lot of credit to, you know, ABC, ESPN, and Fox. They're bringing, you know, their NFL and major college announcers right. that are doing these games. Kurt Menefee and Joel Klatt and, you know, Steve Levy and you name it, right? I mean, there's Greg Olson was doing commentary. I mean, there's... Brock Hewitt. Uh, Isn't Brock yeah. Hewitt doing some games for you, too? The old quarterback? Yeah, Brock was doing games. Yeah. I mean, he was up in Seattle last weekend. Right. And by the way, I, I, I do think that Seattle... Dallas game is going to be very interesting. Very you know, interesting. Both, both won. Uh, both lost. Both teams lost. Week one came back and won last week. And you know, uh, Landry Jones is Dallas's quarterback. You know, longtime Steeler backup player. And Jim's got a good thing going. I tell you, the the atmosphere at CenturyLink was unbelievable. You know, yes. and, and people in Seattle, I'm, I'm in awe of the football fans. They they want to make it the best home field advantage. <laughs> in our league just like it is in the NFL and that's it's awesome to see. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. So one last thing and I'll let you go. I know you're busy as all heck. The season is a ten game season. You start to play or yeah the playoffs is the eighteenth for you fans out there, the eighteenth and nineteenth of April. And I tell you, one of the things that I thought was another good move, the NFL draft is the twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth and you guys uh, are playing your championship game on the 26th. I think that's a great move. Super job. Well, you know, you would appreciate this as a former coach. You know, one of the really strong arguments we have for younger players, guys who might have been on a practice squad, you know, we tell them, hey, uh, you know, don't spend your, your off season in Feb- January and February and March and the half of April, you know, just hanging out, lifting weights or whatever, because as you know, you can't go in and work with your assistant coach. 
right? right. The, the, the CBA doesn't allow that, you know? So we say to these guys, don't spend your time, you know, not improving as a player. Come play in the XFL. And You're what? on a practice squad. You need that, you know, you need that game experience anyway. So, you know, the way the, the league is kind of set up, it's ideal for a practice squad player who all of a sudden gets 10 games of experience, you know, real live football with, with good players and good coaches, national TV. And, you know, if they're good enough, guess what? They'll walk into an NFL training camp in early May, and they'll be further along than any of their, you know, colleagues. Well, I, So that, yeah. you know, we, we, there is obviously a lot of thought given to how we sort of structured our season time-wise. Well, I think you guys are filling a niche. I think you guys are doing something that uh, you tried to do before, but this time around it's something that is really, really needed. The amount of players in the National Football League that go on IR, the amount of players that need to be ready to play, is uh, it's in the hundreds and maybe the thousands. But I tell you uh, – you guys are filling the niche. You're helping the NFL out. And uh, best of luck here down the road. Let's do this again. Let's catch up down the road after after we have a couple more great, great weeks. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All, All right, Olive, have a great day. That's yeah. Oliver Luck, the CEO and commissioner of the XFL. We'll be back in a minute with more of Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. Welcome back to uh, Odds and Ends with Mike Tice, and I'm fortunate to have my next guest on. I am a big fan of the XFL head coach and, of course, general manager of the D.C. Defenders, the 2-0 D.C. Defenders, Pep Hamilton. Pep, thanks for taking time out. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going going great, Coach. Going great. Uh, appreciate the kind words, and uh, we, uh, we're just prepping for our next opponent. Another tough tough, hard-fought football game ahead for us and looking to uh, find a way to score one more point than the opponent on Sunday. Well, you got to make a road trip, right? So uh, that's yeah. going to be different, and you got to go all the way out to California. Uh, but let's before we do that, I want to give a little background for my fans and for your fans out there. Howard University graduate. You actually started coaching at Howard, so you're familiar with the D.C. area. Two stints. God bless you. Two stints with Jim Harbaugh, one at Stanford and one at Michigan. The last at Michigan, you were assistant head coach, past game coordinator. Of course, in the NFL with the Bears and Indianapolis Colts. You're 2-0 and right now. You're plus four in the TD uh, ratio that they put out, the XFL puts out. Seven TDs for you guys. The only one who scored more TDs in the XFL after two weeks are the Houston Roughnecks. And like you said, you're going to L.A., you got good prep going on. It's Wednesday. Is the week starting out well for you guys? It is, Coach. It is. Um, really just work on reinforcing our fundamentals and technique and getting ourselves ready to go out and, uh, as I mentioned, compete against a really good L.A. football team. Well, boy, your quarterback, Cardell Jones from Ohio State, he's done a really nice job the first couple of weeks. Tell us a little bit about his play and how he's improved since uh, training camp started. Cardell is uh, is well documented uh, how well he uh, he adapts and overcomes all situations with regards to, to having a chance to play quarterback. You know, and and uh, I guess what I'm saying is the only thing that's been missing in his career is just opportunities to play. Right. Uh, he's progressively improved and gotten better. Practice daily, and of course, having the opportunity to go out and compete in games, he's done well. He's 
thirteen and zero in his career as a starter since he's been out of high school. I think the sky's the limit with Cardell. Uh, he has no talent restrictions or limitations. He can do anything that you need him to do with the football. And uh, he's surprisingly uh, athletic for a guy that's 6'5", 255 pounds. So, uh, he's, uh, he's been great. He's a big dude. He reminds me a little bit of Dante Culpepper when I had Dante. Uh, big man, too. Actually, Dante was 265, about you know 6'4", big, strong, athletic, uh, tough to bring down. Really good with the football, smart with the football. Similar type quarterbacks. Uh, are you familiar with Dante's play at all? And would you say that's oh, a good comparison? Would you say that's a good comparison, Pep? Yeah, I would say it is. I think Dante was uh, probably a little better running than him credit for. You know, he, he could right. really pull that ball down and be a force. Dante was a uh, a tight end, body playing quarterback. Yep. And that's just my opinion. You know, I had a chance to, uh, when I was at the turn, to, the uh, Minnesota Vikings came over to our training camp and we practiced together and, and you're talking about an impressive bunch. Dante was the biggest skill player they had, that you guys had, and he was outstanding, an outstanding athlete. Cardell's a pretty good athlete in his own right, and uh, they both can throw the ball a, a country mile. And, you know, they're both good football players, but Cardell is, is working to improve daily. Yeah. And you got a couple of good guys on. He's got a couple of good guys on the outside that are playing well for you guys right now. Eli Rogers, Rashad Ross, DeAndre Tompkins. I mean, these are good. These guys are going and getting the ball for him. They're doing a nice job after two weeks. Yeah, we've uh, we've been able to develop a little more continuity uh, in our passing game, and uh, it's been an ongoing process. Now, I tell you, it didn't start that way back at the beginning of minicamp, but. Um, we feel good about our skill position groups on both sides of the ball. I think um, when you look at our DB group, and uh, you just as you just noted, the guys that we have at, um, at the receiver position, the competition that we have in practice is probably more intense and competitive than what we've seen in ball games. So the old saying, iron sharpen iron, is, hard, is holding true for us in practice. Well, yeah, you got, speaking of defense, the defenders pitching a shutout, Raheem Moore and Matt Elam, two really good players for you guys on the defensive side. They started out the season like gangbusters. They're tackling. They're getting to the football. They're flying around. That, that defense of yours, uh, I see a guy on that I was teammates with with the Redskins, Kurt Gavea. He's, uh, he's yeah. on your staff. Tell us a little bit about that defense of yours. I know you got to get back to meetings. I'll ask you one, a couple more questions and let you go. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Coach, you, you just said it, man. Our defense staff, you know, led by Louis Chofi, a longtime NFL assistant. Uh, we had the opportunity to work together at the Browns. And uh, Louis uh, coached at the Titans when I was at the Colts. Well, uh, I, I think our staff collectively, they've done a, a good job of just identifying the strengths of our players and then asking the players to do what they do best and that ultimately allows allows the players to play fast. Uh, Kurt Govea brings uh, a mentality to our linebacker group that uh, that is ferocious, see ball, get ball, tenacious, tough, and, uh, and that shows uh, in how they play on game day as well. So uh, I'm excited about the prospects of our defense. I think uh, – you know, we have a pretty formidable group that uh, that will have continued success, and, and they'll be disruptive for teams in our league. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've been able to watch a couple of games. I, I watched that butt-kicking you gave Seattle Dragons the first week, uh, and my good friend Jim Zorn, 
and was able to watch that game in its entirety. You guys, I said to my wife, Diane, I said, I think the defenders are going to need to be reckoned with. Well, you got one other guy in that staff. I want you to say hi for me that I worked with with the Falcons, and that's Chris Selfo. God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> and you know what I mean. Take care of my man, Chris. He's doing a great job for yeah. you. Run game coordinator, tight ends coach. Yeah. Uh, best of luck out in L.A. this weekend. Get to 3-0, and and let's talk again down the road, huh, Coach? Awesome, Coach. Thanks, man. Go defend us. All right, man. Go get it, Pep. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That was Pep Hamilton. Pep Hamilton, the head coach of the 2-0 and D.C. Defenders. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. Uh, no horse racing. To talk about this week, there are no three-year-old races with derby implications. Don't forget, you can tweet us at odds and ends pod. That's O-D-D-S, the letter N-E-N-D-S pod. You can reach out to us by email at oddsandendspod at gmail.com. I hope all your teams are winning teams. I hope all your picks are winning picks. And don't forget, I'd rather have a short price than a long face.